0: So last Wednesday, we began the season of Lent, a time of preparation before we celebrate Easter. That preparation often takes the forms of self-denial and self-examination, of almsgiving and fasting and taking things on and giving things up. For example, people take on new practices, right? Things like a little extra prayer or a little bit of Bible reading or exercise. And sometimes people give things up too, things like chocolate or meat or sugar. On one level, perhaps this can become a little bit trite and a little bit overly simplistic. And it is fair, I think, to wonder how not eating a Snickers bar brings us any closer to God. (laughs) I have certainly wondered these things myself at times, and I will admit to you here and now that I have had Lenten seasons, where I gave up giving things up (laughs) for Lent. And if that's where you're at this year, then I would encourage you to do the same. And yet, and yet, I think there is something important about this practice of taking things up, taking things on and giving things up. I say this because these practices are really all about desire, and desire sits at the center of the Christian life. It sits at the center of the Christian worldview, And our lessons this morning ask us to to look at desire and the role that desire plays in our lives. So let's begin by admitting that desire is an absolutely necessary and an essential part of life. From the moment that we are born to the moment that we die, desire plays a part in what it means for us to be human beings. I think that we can go so far as to say that desires actually define us. They define who we are, because what we want and what we desire necessarily shape who we are and who we will be. So take, for example, a child who wants to grow up to become a doctor. Perhaps she wants to become a doctor so that she can save lives and and make the world a better place. And maybe along the way, this noble desire Also, a desire to help, Uh, also, along with that noble desire, there's also this desire to win the acceptance of others by pleasing them. Or uh, she has an ambition to be better than others, or she has a desire to control life and death. In any case, those desires, her desire that will manifest in her desire to become a doctor. And her desire to become a doctor will drive her to try to create that life. And with this desire, all along the way, there are going to be other desires, big and small, that will seek to pull her from her path. If she's lucky, or maybe if her will is strong enough and her desire remains consistent, she'll be able to push those other desires away and, or put them into perspective or keep them under control. But in any case, the whole path of her life and her identity will be shaped by how she manages her desires. In both noble and perverse ways, desire defines us. It makes us what we are. But this should come as no surprise to us as Christians because our Christian story tells us that we were created for desire. That is, we were made by love for love. We were created so that we might know God's love and, in turn, so that we might love one another and ultimately love God, our true source and end. God created us to live in communion with God and, with another, and one another in peace. And because this is so, We were created to long for and to desire unity and completion in one another and ultimately in God. It is for this reason that we will never find true completion or joy or meaning cut off from one another, cut off from others or cut off from God. Our hunger for relationship, for truth, for beauty, for abundance will only find their true object in God and everything else will leave us wanting. As our patron Saint Augustine of Hippo wrote, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And yet one of the great mysteries of human existence is that we live in a wounded and hostile relationship with God and with our fellow human beings. Things simply are not as they were created to be, We are not living in the harmonious communion for which we were created. Somehow, and in some way, we live in a distorted relationship with our true source and with our true end, and thus live in a distorted relationship with one another. In our lesson from Genesis, we just heard... So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate and yet the mystery is why why would the tree draw draw her so this story of adam and eve in the garden is is not so much an explanation of that why as a story that that points to the mystery of our broken communion. For indeed, the garden has everything these first people could want or need. There is food, there is shelter, there is companionship in abundance. They seemingly lack nothing and want for nothing. Augustine goes so far as to say these human beings are free, they are wise and their desires are rightly ordered. They are as they were created to be. And yet, mysteriously, something goes awry. And in listening to the serpent's lies, they leave that abundance behind. Adam and Eve go looking for completion beyond the God who created them. They look beyond their source. They look beyond their end for their identity and their completion. The Genesis story does not tell us why this is so, but rather that this is so, that indeed this is what we do. That our desires are distorted and disfigured is one of our greatest problems. It is the cause of our suffering and the cause of our making others suffer. We don't love as we ought. We love some things too much and others not enough. We lack perspective and wisdom to know how we ought to order our desires, and as such, we suffer. Our will is often powerless to do the things we know that we ought to do. And in our brokenness and our ignorance, this season of Lent is a stark reminder that all too often, all too often, we crucify love, we crucify beauty, crucify one another, and indeed we even crucify God. And yet God does not leave us in this predicament, for God continually longs to draw us back into relationship and to reorder our desires. God seeks us out in Jesus and welcomes us back into communion. Indeed, into an even deeper level of communion with God than, than we have in our merely in our creation. First Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans, in Christ our relationship with God has been restored and renewed and indeed made new. Jesus comes to us to forgive and thus gives us new life. In Jesus we have the free gift of grace. We are justified as God sets things right in Christ. Indeed, we have been freed by being drawn into Christ's unbroken relationship with the Father. And it is this unbroken relationship that is revealed in the gospel lesson this morning. In rejecting the devil's temptations in the wilderness, Jesus rejects an excessive need for control, and for esteem, and for power and instead embraces God's abundance and love and grace. Jesus' one desire is for God and for living in relationship with God, even if that will not bring an immediate end to hunger or adulation or military might. He faces the temptation to find his completion outside of God and thus comes to be at one with us but overcomes those temptations, and thus comes to bring us to God. In Lent, I believe we wrestle with our small temptations so that we might learn how to wrestle with the bigger temptations of our lives. We come face to face with our desires so that we can come to understand what we truly desire. To say no to the Snickers bar, or to even to want to say no to the Snickers bar, (laughs) is a way of learning how to say yes to God. It's a way of coming face to face with our own poverty and our own weakness. And in this way, whether we are able to resist the draw of that Snickers bar or not, it is a way of learning how to surrender our lives to God And to God's will for us. To say no to the Snickers bar is to recognize that our lives will never be satisfied by chocolate and peanuts and caramel. But so too, the great longing of our lives will also not be satisfied by money or fame or power or security or health. Our great longing will only be truly satisfied in love. Love of ourselves, love for others, and indeed, above all things, love for God. And so I think the invitation of this season of Lent, as we, as we leave our small things behind, as we take on our small practices, is to examine our desires, to look at our hearts, to see what we truly long for, and in that space to be moved and shaped by God. Recognizing our great and abundant longing for God, our desire for God, is merely a response and an echo of God's longing and desire for each and every one of us. In this season of Lent, take those small things, those little things, and lay them aside or don't, knowing that God's love is there and then be formed and transformed by that love. Amen.